Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, how are you feeling this morning on this Monday, the 22nd of November? Uh, It's possible that, like me, you have family who are traveling now in order that we could all be together come Thursday. Um, So if you've got, you know, family on the road or maybe you're trying to pack up and get somewhere, I know that there's some anxiety associated with that. If you are like me and you are wondering whether or not that bird is going to thaw out in time to serve it tomorrow... Uh, for the school Thanksgiving lunch celebration. Yep, I uh, I know that anxiety as well. I really don't think there's any way to accelerate the thawing of the turkey. I just think you have to just patiently wait. And then maybe you have to stay up all night cooking it. I don't know. That might have to happen. Um, how are you responding to the news headlines this morning, the ones at the end of last week, the ones to which we are awaking this day? Uh, let's do a couple of those. Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, you you all already know there's been celebration on some fronts, outrage on others, um, following the verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse when it was read. He was found not guilty on all charges. Um, it, this is not a win or a loss. This is this is really, in my view, not cause for um, celebration nor degradation. This is an acknowledgement that we have a system. Um, of justice, um, and whether or not you feel like justice has been done in this case, I think that as Christians, we can acknowledge that lives have been lost, other lives have been radically tr- changed, um, irrevocably so, and sin is real. We should acknowledge it on um, on all fronts, um, and we should and we should step forward into the conversation and not just let the talking points from one um, side or another sort of carry us along with the tide of the conversation of the day. We should be people who put our feet down um, in the midst of the tide of whatever the conversation is um, and say, you know what, I, you know, I, I hear and appreciate how emotionally charged this issue is for you. You know, I, I want to acknowledge and, and recognize um, the brokenness of people, the brokenness of the uh, of the system to which people were initially responding, um, and and I want to and I want to acknowledge that lives were lost and other lives irrevocably changed, including Kyle Rittenhouse's life. Um, so I think there's cause for prayer on all fronts, and I think there's um, there's there's cause and reason for us to be um, people of peace. And that brings me to this next headline, which I know you're stunned I didn't start with, and that's the headline out of Waukesha. Um, For those of you who don't know, there was a parade. It's a parade that's been held on the Sunday before Thanksgiving every year for the last 59 years. Um, It's a Christmas parade in the town of Waukesha. It's sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce. This year's theme was comfort and joy. 
Main Street was uh, lined. I mean, you you know this is this this is what happens in small towns across America. Um, people line the streets, and you know, groups of kids and groups of grannies and the high school marching band. Everybody participates. That's what was going on yesterday when an individual drove an SUV accelerating from behind through a portion of the band and into uh, some dancing grannies from Milwaukee and others as well. There are at least five dead. There are dozens injured. Uh, the, The number of 40 injured are the people who were transported by Um, first responders and law enforcement. That does not account for all of the people who got to the hospital um, or their injuries were tended to that haven't been reported yet or information aggregated yet. So those numbers are very likely to rise. Governor Tony Evers said uh, he and his wife, Kathy, quote, praying, um, uh, praying for Waukesha tonight and all the kids, families and community members affected by this. Here's the language, senseless act, senseless act. Um, those are good words for us to use. We cannot make sense of that which is senseless, and this was a deliberate act. There was a, there was an act of willful intent. Um, neither of those things should be lost in our conversation today. One question you're going to hear asked, was this an act of terrorism? I think you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? What What is terrorism? I mean, we're, we're, did it cause fear, and does it is it going to now cause all of us to ask whether or not we're going to go participate in a parade or let our kids participate in a parade and whether or not we're going to sit close enough um, should something awful like this, you know, happen again, right? Then if so, then if it strikes this kind of terror in us, then yeah, it's terrorism, whether or not it ever meets the uh, legal definition. So how are you going to prepare in advance to react and respond as more information is released? I think that's the question of the day for us as Christians. How are we going to prepare in advance to react and respond as people of faith, as more information is released today, we are very likely going to hear today who the person is who's being held um, as a suspect in this case. I think there's going to be a lot to that. And I want us as Christians to be prepared in advance to react and respond as that information is released. And to remember, we have resources for these conversations that other people around us in the culture do not have. You have resources for this conversation that other people do not have. You have the peace which passes all understanding. You have an understanding of sin and brokenness. You have an understanding of of hate and the wellspring from which it comes. So today is a day that we need to prayerfully prepare to be the people who sow peace, speak truth with love, and do not allow our anger to lead us into sin. We're going to pivot now and have a conversation um, that we had planned to have about cultivating gratitude during this week of Thanksgiving. And I think that equipping ourselves in this direction is really important, um, even in the midst of the headlines of the day, which would seek to turn our attention in a different direction. So let's be uh, people who are cultivating gratitude. What does that look like? What does that mean? Dave Buring joins us next from LionShare. We'll be right back. Joining us again today, Dave Buring from Lion Share. Dave, welcome back. 
Hey, good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So let's um let's cultivate some gratitude. What do the scriptures say about giving thanks? Yeah, the scriptures actually say a lot of stuff about giving thanks. But one that I like here, Second uh, Corinthians four fifteen, it says, "For it is for for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God." It's one of the ones that I like. I, I when I think about Thanksgiving in this time of year, where I know. People are coming to our homes or we're going to people's homes. And some sometimes it's it's dicey, isn't it? It's like people wondering, okay, do I really want to see this person? I haven't spoken to them in a year. Things aren't always feeling as comfortable as I like. I, I think I think our Thanksgiving holiday, matter of fact, this whole holiday season has to begin with developing and cultivating thanksgiving within us. Uh, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, First Thessalonians tells us. So the, that, that's a lot, right? In everything, give thanks. It's God's will. So cultivating gratitude and thanksgiving, it's a big deal. So I like, um, I like that verse, again, Second Corinthians 4.15. Um, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The word grace um, seems important in there. The extension of grace, thanksgiving is important. The glory of God is important. Um, Take us to the very beginning of the meal. What kind of planning should we do in terms of saying grace? Yeah. Isn't that kind of funny? We, We, like in my family, we grew up saying that. And somebody would say, who would like to say grace? It's like, why don't we say Hey, who'd like to open us in prayer? Who would like to give thanks? Instead, we say, who'd like to say grace? And it's interesting to note that that really the whole spirit of that thing is rooted in the biblical word grace. And so the Greek word for grace, we have charis, and then we have eucharistia, which is the Greek word for thanksgiving. So the thing we need to know is thanks is rooted in grace. In other words, you know, just think about it, how when God comes through for you, whether it's your own walk with him, your salvation, you know, in, in a time when you didn't deserve something and, and God's grace shows up, that that the bubbling up that should naturally happen inside of us is this thing called grace. It's like, I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. And yet here it is. And so if, you know, if we need kind of a reminder, you know, God's grace is this uh, undeserved love and favor towards us. It's one of my favorite definitions of grace is God acting on our behalf. God acting on our behalf, him coming and initiating. And and really, that's when we sit at the, the turkey table on Thursday, how can I give thanks? The thing that happens at our, our home, we'll have my family, my grandkids, my mom, my brother and his family, so we'll have a big table here on, on Thanksgiving Day. And once Cheryl, my wife, sets everything out, she always keeps it covered with a little aluminum foil, I start at my right and I say, okay, just give us one thing briefly here that you're grateful for. And we go all the way around the table cultivating gratefulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do, the, um, we do that as well. I suspect that's a tradition in many, many families. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. We're talking about how we cultivate Um, gratefulness, how we cultivate gratitude, how we cultivate thanksgiving in our lives. We're going to talk next about what it reveals about our hearts. What does our gratefulness say about what's going on in our hearts? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find him and the resources we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, talk about what um, what gratefulness, gratitude, thanksgiving, what all of that reveals about our hearts. Yeah, I think I think this is something we often miss. Um, and I think if this week, let's say before we get to being with people on Thursday, we can be thinking about this. It's, it's really important. Gr- the lack of gratitude or gratitude itself reveals truly what we believe about God. It exposes who we think he really is, what he's willing to do on our behalf. And I, I like this. It exposes the gaps between mm. who he really is and how we are living our daily lives. In other words, is he that included? Do we see him uh, as our heavenly father that loves us all the time, all the time and is with us always always or do we just believe that you know he's random and he just kind of does this or does that it, it reveals what we really really believe about god and that that's a starting point it, it also reveals to us what we believe about people how we view them and how we value them L- let me say it this way carmen it's like people have in my life i know there's certain things that God's taught me. There's certain wirings he had born in me. But I got to tell you, I feel like at least 50%, and it's at least 50% of who I am today is because of the contribution of other people in my life. It's things they've done on my behalf. It's things they've said. It's it's intervention coming to help me. It's it's equipping me. It's it's loving me. It's It's the contribution of my parents who wiped my rear end when I had dirty diapers, you know, going all the way back to that, to the people that just this week when I was speaking in Cleveland came alongside and said, hey, do you need a car? Yeah, I actually do. Would you like to use my Tesla this week? (laughs) You know, people coming alongside. And again, we have to realize we would not be who we are today without this, the contribution of people. And I'm talking, I know there's the bad side of that, the contribution of people. I'm talking today and this week in particular about the good contribution of people in our lives. Yeah, that's so good. It's, uh, we, we're pretty good at keeping a litany of the ways we've been wronged. Yeah. I mean, for, for whatever reason, it's easy for us to come up with a list of, you know, the bad things or the, or, you know, or the ungracious things that have happened to us uh, you know, as the result of other people sinning against us. Why, um, you know, why is it that we're not keeping a record of gratitude? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, that's what I hear you saying. Like, right, there's a, yeah. I ought to have a thankfulness in my heart, a gratitude in my heart for, you know, every person who has opened a door or has, um, you know, stepped aside and allowed me through. I mean, like on and on and on. The The list of minor things I could be grateful for if I would pay attention to them is really significant. Yeah, and it, and it's important because it's a, it's an attitude adjuster, and and it helps us instead of maybe pointing out those fifteen things that tick us off, that those one or two things that are really important there in in your life, particularly because you're relating with them on Thanksgiving Day or or on your on your job today. It's just important to pause and say, okay, what have they contributed to my life? What they have, what have they done for me? Kind of as extensions of grace from the Lord, where they've done something for you on your behalf that you didn't earn or deserve. 
And the consequences of not thinking this way are, are not good. I, there's a, a portion in Romans chapter 1 where it talks about how one of the attributes of a darkened heart mm. is ungratefulness. And that's it's a it's an interesting thing. When I talk with people and I teach on some of this, that's one of the things I'll say is, look, you, you got to realize that a, a grateful heart moves us towards the light, moves us towards truth. A, a ungrateful heart, it, it gets us stuck in darkness. And, and there's things like this pride where we can't see beyond ourselves. We're always discontent. We're never satisfied. We're restless. There's always a want for need and more. That, that grows out of ungratefulness. Cynicism. You know, because a cynic doesn't trust other people. It's always suspicious. And that grows. Criticism, because we're not grateful for others, because it's never done right. Entitlements, bitterness. I mean, these are some of the qualities, Carmen, that can be there with a heart that is, is lacking gratitude. Those are scary things. I, I think of Jonah 2.8. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's a interesting verse. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to forfeit grace. The verse no. from um the verse from Romans 1 that I suspect you're referring to is verse 21. So let me read it yeah. for for all of us. Romans 1:21. And as you're listening to this, you know, like listen with ears looking for the words grace and thanks. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans one twenty one. Um, there's no question that when we fail to acknowledge the good gifts of God, um, when we fail to acknowledge the good giver, God, we do become not only foolish and dark, but futile. Like it's a, it's a, that's a, that's a bad track. I don't want to start down that path. And so if I'm yeah. giving thanks to God, if I'm acknowledging God as the as the, as the giver of every good and perfect gift, if I'm turning to him, um, you know, if I'm turning toward the light, then, you know, this this path of foolishness and darkness is not going to be mine. I mean, that's that's the promise in that verse as well. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so, you know, Carmen, if somebody's stuck in that today and, you know, they're, mm. they're just going, okay, I, I've got kind of on the merry-go-round of ungratitude, it's like the place to start is just, whether you're in your car right now, whether you're, you know, going to be thinking about Turkey Day here tonight and making plans. If you have been listening to this today and you're recognizing I'm living in that cycle of ungratitude, I'm actually in some of those places of some cynicism and discontentment, entitlement, whatever. You know, the Lord has given us this thing the Bible calls the gift of repentance. Mm -hmm. And when he shows us something in our heart, he wants us to, to go ahead and keep following through by simply saying, Lord, I own this. I've been ungrateful. The different pieces of it maybe you can name that have been in your heart. And, and I repent and I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to cleanse my heart. And he promises that when we do that, he will. And so that, that might be a great way to start our week. All right. So I have a, um, a one minute farm report related to this, if you will indulge me. <laughs> So um, Matthew is my very special needs uh, 16-year-old, and he is a chicken farmer, which people who listen regularly, they know this is a part of the uh, rhythm at our household. And so uh, we also have two dogs, 
And I don't know what happened, but on that night of the full moon, like our dogs got a little less um, pet-ish and more fiendish. And uh-huh. there was uh, there was a they, they broke into the coop. I don't I don't know what motivated it. I have no idea. I drove in the driveway and there's dogs in the coop, which is not where dogs are supposed to be. Mm-mm. And so um, there was, uh, you know, you have to deal with the <clears throat> the the massacre part of it. And Matthew was not home at the time. And so I moved the wounded birds up to a perch um, where they could, you know, in the nesting boxes. And I moved the birds who had been smart enough to get all the way up into the rafters. I moved them to our little alternate coop, which is this little coop on the side where normally we raise chicks and things like that. Didn't occur to me that I really needed to fully check the security of the little coop. Anyway, I went back to tend to the wounded birds. Um, we did have some casualties of the whole thing. Um, but the the amazing thing is that some of them, you know, rallied. And even though they were wounded, they've survived. And so we're giving great thanks to God for that. And, and then the bottom of one of the nesting boxes fell out of the little coop, landing two chickens out in the yard, which, you know, then the dogs think that is just free, literally free game. Uh, yeah. So I know, I know. So I, I raised all of this to say yesterday morning after we had, you know, buried a number of chickens, I got up, I pulled back the curtains and there is a chicken who we buried. She is standing outside the gate of the big coop. Like, why am on the why am on the outside? I'm supposed to be on the inside. So anyway, we we viewed it yesterday as God's wow. God's grace. So even in the midst of, I say all of this to say, even in the midst of his of his grief, Matthew found cause to give gratitude to God. I mean, he's like, let's mm. thank God, because you mm. know he acknowledges that God cares about yeah. those little creatures, you know, yeah. as much as he does, and cares about him. And so you know, there there is. There are opportunities to give God thanks and praise, even in the midst of circumstances that are grief stricken. And I want people to remember that this week, because I think it's going to be one of those kinds of Thanksgivings this year. Wow. So you got chickens being raised from the dead at your home. Yeah, I know. I I resisted calling it an actual (laughs) miracle. But he said, you know, we're praising God. And that's the other thing I guess I would say. I'm not going to correct. I'm going to find... I am going to resist yeah. the temptation to correct people when they find cause to give God thanks, because that's definitely my, you know, I want their theology to be right, and that sometimes is a problem. So, yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. You're exactly right. That's Dave, awesome. um, we got to leave it there. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you again um, in a couple of weeks. That's Dave Guring. You can find him at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. All right, what are the headlines as you survey the news today that um, you want to talk most about, you want to be prepared or equipped to discuss? I made a list. Daniel Bennett and I from John Brown University are going to um, pick up on some of those. What do you make of the outcome of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Wisconsin? How are you thinking about the Ahmaud Arbery trial in Georgia? Um, all kinds of things. I mean, you know, yeah, the uh, the the president's signature legislation was was uh, was passed by Congress, and and yet, you know, that sort of like fell off the radar in the midst of everything else that's going on. So, what's topping the headline news in your life today? How are you applying the mind of Christ to what's going on in your part of the world? You know, it could be that what you're dealing with today um, is 
far more local. That's my guess. Far more local than any of that. So I want you to just pause for a moment and ask yourself, in my life, what's the big news today? What's the big news today in my life, in my family, in my household, in my place of work, in my community, in my friend group? How am I going to be God's person, God's agent of grace, a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of the king and the kingdom in the midst of that thing, that challenge, that issue, that celebration? How am I going to be God's person today in the big news in my life? We're going to catch up with Daniel Bennett next. We'll be right back. At our ranch in East Texas, I have a pet donkey named Toy. Toy is stubborn. I can try and get her to do something, but she has a mind of her own. No amount of commanding, pushing, or yanking can get her to do what I want. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. To some of you, Toy the donkey sounds a lot like your teen. You want good things for him, and you want to keep him from harm. But the more you push and pull and yank and argue the harder he digs in his heels. Next time, try a different tactic. Instead of ruling with an iron fist, try coming alongside and spend some time charming him. Your son or daughter isn't exactly like my donkey, but I'm sure of this. They'll respond much better to relationship than authority. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. All right, I don't know about you, but my mind wandered there for a moment when Mark Gregson was talking about likening his donkey to a teenager. <clears throat> I don't know, all kinds of thoughts, not all of them appropriate for Christian radio. Daniel Bennett is here today. He uh, is a professor at John Brown University, although he's headed on sabbatical. He is the author of the Uneasy Citizenship blog, um, and he is working on a book, the publication date of which has been extended, which means... My guess is it's going to be deeper and richer and potentially longer than it would have been. Daniel Bennett, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Do you feel do you feel at all stalked that I know all of that? Well, I appreciate you reading the email. I'm pretty sure that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> I do my yeah. I do my dead level best to read my emails, but it is sometimes a challenge. Um, talk with us first of all. Let's just do this because this would be fun. Uh, sabbatical sounds like it's uh, related to Sabbath. So um, let's unpack that for just a moment and um, talk about why professors and sometimes other people get to do sabbaticals and, you know, sort of what the time away is designed to produce. Yeah. So in higher education, sabbaticals let faculty and, and, you know, administrators at times uh, just rest. Uh, That's the goal. Now, usually there is some type of uh, project or, uh, pro- or, or other type of assignment uh, that goes with the sabbatical. Um, but generally speaking, sabbaticals are something that you can do to just kind of recharge and uh, prepare for the years ahead. Uh, at our university, John Brown, you uh, can apply for a sabbatical after six years of, of teaching, and then you can apply for the next one after another six years. So they're not very common. 
uh, but they do allow for a time of rest and recharging. Uh, and I think the philosophy, like you said, mentioning the Sabbath, it is a time to just, like you said, it's to rest and uh, to prepare for uh, the future of, of your time at the university. Yeah, and it gives it just sort of acknowledges like right six years of work and then a year of rest or or mm. a few months of rest. However, it works itself out. Um, yeah, you know, is reflective of the six days of work and the one day of rest. I think that it's an opportunity for us to, um, you know, when secular when professors at secular universities, people who we know to come from a secular worldview, when they're on sabbatical, I think it's a great opportunity for Christians to ask why. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, no, I think they're doing it, something that acknowledges the created order of things, and yet they're not giving God the, uh, you know, in my view, what's due. So I know. No, it's, that's very, that's, that's a very sidekick yeah, that, conversation. No, that's very true. That's I think that's right. Uh, and so, but you see this, you see this correlation between you know the secular academy, you know, even has its roots in these types of Christian understandings. So we can trace that back uh, to to our Christian uh, worldview. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So everybody in the country or many people in the country are responding in various and sundry ways to the um, Kyle Rittenhouse verdict in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'll just tee that up and let you reflect for a moment. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things that, uh, you know, go back 30 or 40 years. It's it's not something that would have had the national attention that it does now uh, with social media and instantaneous information. People are able to form opinions and express those opinions on the spot. Uh, I think the best advice, not just with this trial, but with really anything that come across the news these days. So you don't have to form an opinion and share that opinion immediately. Right. I think it's a good idea to uh, take a moment and uh, really wait for the best information to get out there rather than having to form that information and uh, and deliver it on the spot. I think one of your former guests and, and uh, maybe he's a regular now, Jeff Bilbro's book, Reading the Times, is really good about encouraging folks to stay patient and really let those opinions form with the best information, not just the newest information. So our attention this week is turning to the uh, trial in Georgia related to the death of um, Ahmad Arbery. I, let me make this observation um, before we talk specifically about that trial. In, in the Kenosha, Wisconsin case, the name we know is Kyle Rittenhouse. It's the person accused. In the case in Georgia, the name we know is the victim, Ahmad Arbery. I, and I don't, I don't really have a commentary on that. I just want to make that observation. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure what that says exactly. Um, you know, the, the one thing to to potentially tease out is, of course, Ahmad Arbery was was killed uh, in the summer of 2020, which is around the time that we saw these uh, Black Lives Matter and racial protests. Um, and so perhaps that that was one explanation. And, uh, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, w was uh, charged with his with uh, with a crime uh, in that same context. But you're right. That is something to to consider and ask why. Um, and, 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 you know, it is interesting. I couldn't tell you the names of the people off the top of my head who are who are charged with killing Mr. Arbery, um, nor could I really mm -hmm. off the top of my head tell you Mr. Rittenhouse's uh, the people that he shot. Mm hmm. I know. There you go. That's the so see you and I are the same in that. And I think that that's just worthy of consideration because in, in both sure. in, in all of these cases, we're talking about, you know, a range of individuals. And uh, I just I think reflecting on that might be interesting for conversation 
um, as well. All right, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, I am going to ask Daniel Bennett to comment on, even though it was only like 85 minutes, I would like for him to reflect on the fact that for 85 minutes, a woman was wielding (laughs) the powers of the presidency here in the United States of America. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. totally possible that we're going to have lots of ridiculous turkey music this week. It is Thanksgiving. We possible? are thankful for you. Possible? <laughs> we, you should know me better are, than that. We are thankful for Paul Perot and the way he pushes our buttons in the morning. We're thankful for Daniel Bennett and others like him who join us on a regular basis and help, and help us survey the headline news of the day, bring the mind of Christ to bear. Um, so, Daniel, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I, I confess, I don't even know if it was yesterday. It might have been the day before. All right. Kamala Harris was the first woman in U.S. history to wield the powers of the presidency, although for a very brief period of time. Tell people what happened and why it matters. Yeah, so this is great. So uh, Joe Biden at 78, 79, I think he's 78 years old, late 70s, uh, had to go in for a medical procedure, colonoscopy. And for the colonoscopy, he had to go under uh, minor anesthesia. And as has happened before, I believe it was George W. Bush who who uh, did this before. Uh, he, through the 25th Amendment of the Constitution, uh, effectively granted or at least turned over the powers of the presidency temporarily while he was under anesthesia to his vice president. And of course, that because Kamala Harris is the first uh, woman vice president in U.S. history, it was the first time that we've had a woman wielding those powers. Now, it's important to note she was not ever that she did not ever get the title of president. I think the formal constitutional statutory title is acting president. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that is noteworthy, right? I mean, even if it doesn't happen that often, that is noteworthy. For less than an hour and a half, there was a woman who was acting president in the United States. Yeah, it's possible that the president's birthday is a part of all of this, because I think he's maybe now 79. It's totally possible. Mm. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, I could be, I, I don't know. You know, it's this, the minor facts of things sometimes escape me this early in the morning. So, all right. Um, <laughs> uh, how about a, how about a little top line take on President Biden's Build Back Better legislation and plan? Yeah. So uh, the big news, of course, uh, a lot of the, the wish list for a, a lot of more progressive Democrats in the House uh, passed through the Build Back Better Act. Um, four weeks of paid leave. I think the more progressive members wanted longer than that, eight, maybe even 12 weeks. Four weeks is what they got. But even that might not survive when the bill goes to the U.S. Senate. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin has been on the record as saying he doesn't support uh, that four weeks of paid leave, and his vote is absolutely essential to getting this through the Senate. Other things folks are you know, paying attention to, um, it looks like uh, extended child tax credits uh, through the through 2022, your listeners, you know, may be receiving payments of, you know, 250 or $300 a month per child. That's in the bill that would be extended. Uh, universal pre-K uh, for, for young kids, uh, child care assistance as well. Um, so it's a lot of money. Uh, $1.75 trillion, I think, is the cost of the bill. Um, some of that's going to get paired back in the Senate. But uh, this is this is a big deal for, for President Biden. All right. So one of the boring outlets that I think people should read in relationship to this um, goes through all of the tax provisions related to the Build Back Better Act. 
So just so that you guys know, the Journal of Accountancy, the accountants <laughs> out there are doing the math on all of this. Um, and, you know, they're they're estimating that the bill is actually going to cost far more than what yes. it looks like on the surface and certainly far more over time. Um, there's also this SALT deduction uh, part of this. Uh, the bill would increase um, this limitation on the deduction that people can take for state and local taxes. It's going to move that from $10,000 to $80,000, um, and it, it extends that limit uh, through 2031. So essentially, the federal government would be giving up tax money to because states will have collected tax money. But this really only benefits uh, a it, it benefits a small percentage of the U.S. population, and they happen to be very rich and live in very blue states. And so yeah. um, I just think that that's going to be one of the things that people like Manchin are going to look at and be like, OK, this is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely right. And, th- and this is a great lesson for how the legislative process works. That that part of the bill would not be in there. It's not championed by the you know the the vast majority of house democrats it's really championed by a handful of congressmen especially in new york state where uh you know housing is very expensive and taxes are very high uh those handful of congressmen whose whose votes nancy pelosi needed to pass the bill they insisted on that provision staying in there i'd be surprised if this makes it through the senate intact maybe it goes up from 10,000 to 25,000 or something but um yeah, that's just a fascinating look into the legislative process. Absolutely. All right. So um, you and I both read this piece on the relationship between information, wisdom, and the decline of emotional intelligence. It appeared in Psychology Today, and I wanted to tee it up because I, I don't want us to lose track of how we as Christians are supposed to be applying the mind of Christ to the matters of the day, and that science is actually taking note of the difference between information and wisdom. Right. Uh, I was just talking about this with some students the other day. We live, at a, we live in a really interesting time in history uh, where we have access to more information about the world than, than any people ever, right? So, I mean, your listeners this morning, if they have a smartphone, they have access to more information than any other person uh, throughout human history, from kings, queens, uh, lords, uh, we have a vast amount of information at our fingertips. Uh, and it bears asking, is that the way we were meant to live, to have that type of information coming at us all the time, especially if we're on social media? And so I liked these studies because it peels back not just, uh, you know, what do we do with this information, but what is this information doing to us? Mm-hmm. And you know, the answer is it's not doing a lot of good things in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I think that the the fact that we're more connected and yet more lonely is an observation that they make. Replacing in-person communication um, results in all kinds of things that are not good, um, including social comparisons or envy mm-hmm. that we develop. Um, and they're not trying to necessarily pinpoint these causes. They're, what they're trying to do, I think, is help us look at the way we're gathering information, what information we're gathering, not only how we're using it, but as you point out, what it's doing to us. Well, so um, Jonathan Haidt, the uh, psychologist and I think moral psychologist is what he is. He wrote The Righteous Mind. Um, He has a new piece out in The Atlantic uh, just the other day 
talking about the role of Instagram in shaping teenage girls' uh, uh, mindsets. And as you can imagine, if your listeners have teenage daughters or your listeners are teenage girls, I mean, they they will understand this, right? The 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 way that Instagram and the information that they're getting across that social media platform is just crippling a lot of these girls' sense of self-worth, value. And uh, we can, you know, look at that small demographic in our country and really be concerned about what this is doing for the future, because frankly, we haven't seen what the next generation, how the next generation is going to be affected by this type of information, um, because it is relatively so new. And so our listener, I think your listeners will be, you know, I think I think the point of the article was to say, it's okay to tune out every once in a while to take a rest from from mm-hmm. social media, from information in general, pay attention to what's going on in the world around you rather than maybe what's going on in the world uh, as a whole. Um, there's a virtue of being informed, yes, but sometimes, just like with any virtue, it can be twisted and, and translated pretty easily into a vice. All right. I am tweeting out the Jonathan Haidt article that Daniel just uh teed up for us. If you follow me on Twitter, that'll be an easy way to find it. I'm at Carmen LaBerge. Daniel, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. If you guys want to follow Daniel on Twitter, he's Daniel R. Ben, B-E-N-N for Bennett. Blessings. We look forward to talking with you next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We are certainly thankful for you. We'll be right back. All right, a range of uh, concerns today facing each and every one of us. Your great concern today might be, how am I going to get everything done for a week's worth of work in like two and a half days? That's, um, that is actually the, the Thanksgiving week challenge, I think. So I have a whole week's worth of things I need to do, and I really only have two and a half, maybe two and a quarter, sort of depends on when people start arriving. Um, You've got like two days to do five days worth of stuff and you've got extra stuff to do. So I'm wondering how you're stuffing it all in. So here's going to be my question. Do you call it stuffing or dressing? And what is the difference? All right. In my family, it's dressing. It's not stuffing because we don't stuff it in the bird And we have a family recipe of which I am pretty excited and proud. So I want to know, dressing or stuffing, that is the debate of the day. Text me, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.